0: Well, many blessings to you. Hope that you guys are having a wonderful evening thus far. And so we will pray and we'll get right into our Bible study for this evening. So let's bow our heads. Dear, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you, magnify you for all that you are and all that you mean. We ask that you would just continue to strengthen us, bless us, encourage us as we do your will and as we learn about you. And God, we ask that you would illuminate our study and our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're going to uh, continue to do what we've been doing, which is uh, kind of uh, deconstructing what we talked on Sunday and kind of getting some more input and information from it. So what we were uh, discussing was broken beyond repair. That was our focus for uh, this week. And it took a while to see that there's actually was a little twist on it on the idea of broken beyond repair. So let's look at some definitions. Uh, The first thing is having been fractured or damaged and no longer in one piece or in working order or separate or caused to separate, to separate or caused to separate into pieces as a result of a blow, a shock or a strain. Uh, Some synonyms are smashed, shattered, burst, fragmented, Splintered, shivered, crushed, snapped, rent, torn, ruptured, separated, severed in bits, in pieces. And so we were trying to look at that as it relates to our not our spirituality so much, but sometimes our emotional uh, state of well-being. That oftentimes because of life, we have been just broken in uh, in various ways, in various areas errors, uh, areas. So uh, feeling smashed, shattered, and uh, not only does it deal with uh, emotionally, but physically we've had that. Sometimes we've had physical problems with our health and been in those places. And when you have been broken like that, it sometimes it seems tough to see the light at the end of the tunnel because of the way you're broken. Like if it's a small break, You feel okay, but when it gets to the place of being smashed and shattered and high-level breaking, the idea of being put back together just sometimes doesn't seem like it'll ever happen. And so normally I would preach from the standpoint of you being put back together, but I decided to switch it and say, no, we'd rather you be broken beyond repair and the point that we were making here with let's look at repair was mend, fix up, restore to working order, make as good as new, patch up, put back together, recondition and rehabilitate. All those things are signs of repair. So the the idea that what we were talking about on Sunday was the idea that if you stay broken long enough and broken, I keep using this phrase, broken in all the right places, Mm -hmm. then what happens is eventually you not only grow from it, but you'll have the compassion necessary to help other people grow. And then you'll actually go to the place where you're broken beyond repair. In other words, not just to the place of repair, but far beyond repair. So we want you to go far beyond just being mended or fixed up or restored to working order. That's the one I really liked, restored to working order. So, uh it reminds me of just barely getting by. I'm just uh just I'm just bounced back enough to barely get by. But no, we want the breaking that we go through to uh take us to the place where we're so far beyond where we were broken that we're almost unrecognizable because of what God has done in our life. And in order to do that or achieve that, we have to sometimes stay in that broken state for a while or feel it. I, I think one of the things that we do that is uh, not good as Christians and not even good as humans is we try to rush past the brokenness. We try to get over it so quick, or sometimes we try to deny it. Uh, how are you doing? Well, I'm blessed of the Lord. Okay, that's great, but how are you doing? Well, God is good. Okay, I understand that. But how are you really doing? And sometimes when you rush past that, you miss the power that comes from brokenness. Mm-hmm. And then you won't be able to go beyond repair. Maybe you'll be men- mended and maybe you'll be fixed up or restored to work in order. But you don't get a chance to go beyond that or uh, make as good as new. We don't want to be made as good as new. We want to be better than new. We want to go beyond uh so or patch up just just think about all the people who are living life patched up they've got issues or had issues in the past and they're just patched up you you, you take a car that has been restored to a uh, great lengths and then you take a car that's patched up and you can tell the difference the muffler has been held by a rubber band and duct tape then versus of uh, something brand new so we want to look more brand new But in order to be brand new, sometimes we have to be uh, broken in the process. So we, we looked at this scripture, Matthew 14, one through 21, this chapter, and we're going to take some time to go through it again. And looking at verse one, it says at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. Herod would have been the, uh, what we've known as the king at that time, verse two, And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. So if you know the, uh, the story of Herod and once he comes to prominent power and he hears about this prophecy of a King coming, uh, who is Jesus, he, he tried to kill all the babies to and under and, uh, Jesus' family, they had to escape. So there was this idea of trying to stifle out whatever was coming as a threat. And so at some point, he runs into John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had the ear of the people because he was prophetic and powerful and miracles were doing. so Herod and John the Baptist begin to be at odds because John was not scared of Herod. So when Jesus gets prominent, uh, what Herod is thinking, okay, this is John the Baptist being raised from the dead. And so what would make him think that the story goes on to let us know what happened. Verse three, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife, verse four, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So I took some time to, uh, explain this on sunday morning and i'll take a little more time to to deal with it today it was the fact that herod the king had somehow the scripture doesn't tell us how it happened but he had taken his brother philip's wife so he's taken his sister-in-law and made her his wife for whatever reason but that is not in today's uh terminology that's scandalous and even in that that day that was scandalous that was beyond the norm but being the king being in power you could kind of do what you wanted to do so think about someone who's doing what he wants to do to the point of taking his sister-in-law making uh her his wife or whatever seems like she went along with just just some scandalous stuff going on then you have this upstart john the baptist who's living out in the desert come and telling you you're wrong and you're the king. And he's like, look, I ain't got to listen to you. But John had so much power that he wasn't afraid to confront the power, the political power. I, I will make this point that once you begin to grow in God, and that's why the po- point of us being broken is important is there are certain things that need to be challenged in the earth. Uh, governmental systems educational systems financial systems all kinds of systems that have propped people up in power who are not supposed to be in power because they're really scandalous no good wicked people now we don't run around uh and just bible thumping everybody but when god brings us into a space and it's our turn to speak we cannot be afraid to speak But if you're not broken, you'll be afraid because you'll uh, fear the power of man more than you uh, believe in the power of God. So that happens. And on a lower scale, that happens oftentimes, it starts within our families and amongst our friends where we are asked to stand up for that which is right. And the people around us, like, who are you? Who do you think you are? I'm not coming in my power. I'm coming in the power of God. And of course you, you try to do it in a way that is non-threatening, but every now and then confrontation happens and you have to be willing to confront and not shy away from confrontation. And it's, on, it's obvious John the Baptist wasn't to the point where it went all the way up against the King. When uh, when Donald Trump was in office, I know a lot of preachers and still Christians still loved. Uh, Donald Trump and almost worshiped the ground he walked on. From my vantage point, I thought many of the things he did was horrible. So I spoke against it based on what I saw. I wasn't trying to be political and and lift up Democrats versus Republicans. I was looking at what I thought was godliness. And I was willing to say, I don't see that as being ungodly. And you have to be okay with saying that and the ramifications that come with it. And if you're not broken, you will always back up because saving face is one of the worst things. Worst temptations is, look, I don't, I don't mind saying this, but I got to save face. I don't want to look like the Christian at the family reunions. I'm not going to say anything. Well, that sometimes you have to say not. Of course, once again, we're not talking about being obnoxious. Nothing worse than obnoxious Christians, but Christians who know what God is calling them to do and who stand up. And then challenges come. You can't be afraid of those challenges. John the Baptist was one of those people. So to the point of this, let's look at verse five. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Uh So Herod wanted to put him to death immediately, but he couldn't because he understood that John had the ear of the people because he was a prophet. Now, not all of us are prophets, but we all have the ability to proclaim or to prophesy at times or to speak what thus saith the Lord. In other words, we at times in our life can be the mouthpiece for God in certain situations. And this is what you have to understand. I don't care how much power somebody has. Once you have the ear of the people that God has assigned you to, those people will always stand up for you. Sometimes it it may take a while for your family to turn and see the uh, power of God in you. But once they do and they have confidence in you, you don't have to fight your battles. People say, "Uh, -uh, no, leave, leave Trisha alone because I know what she's meant to me in my life. She's been there for me or a lot of things that we do. We do privately behind the scenes. We don't ask for accolades. And then people were like, no, don't talk about Pastor Andre because I know what he's done for me. I know what he means to me. And then, uh, no, don't, don't talk about Benny, because I know the type of man Benny is. Or don't talk about John, Ella, or who, whoever. So we are not afraid of powers because we really have a lot of power behind us that cannot be seen. There's one story about uh, Elijah's servant uh, waking up. Actually, it was Elisha. Elisha's servant waking up one day, going to the, uh, the ledge of where their uh, compound was and seeing they were surrounded by, uh, an army and he was scared, freaking out. And he runs out to his master and said, master, basically wake up. What are we going to do? We are surrounded by a multitude of an army. Mm -hmm. And Elisha just calmly said, God, I pray that you would open his eyes, that he would see There's more with us than is against us. And it happened and he seen and he saw angels standing all around. So all the people that he could see naturally see that it was against him. They were spiritually so many people he didn't see that was for him. And when you understand that and you've been broken properly, you understand that I wasn't broken for nothing, but I'm broken. But I have armies of angels backing me up when I stand for God and when I do the right thing. So you can come against me, you can talk about me, you can lie up uh, on me, you can make fun of me, but that's not gonna deter me because at the end of the day, day, everybody you have that's against me, I've got so many more for me. May not be able to see them, but they're there. And so I'm stepping out. So so Herod could not do what he wanted to do because John had the ear of the people. He was the prophet for the people. But but a, a shift and uh, a change was coming. So let's pick up verse six. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Mm-hmm. I kind of tiptoed around it on Sunday morning. But since we're in Bible study, we'll just be a little more plain and frank. It was basically a strip tease. That's, it. That's what, what it was. And I don't know if they did lap dances back then. I don't know how deep it got. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it was something designed to incite lust and get uh, the king or whoever in the company to get them to move them. And it did. But the weird thing is that since Herod was with this woman, this woman's daughter would have been his stepdaughter. And at the worst, I mean, at the least, it would have been his niece somehow through marriage. so it's just like this is getting really weird. And the reason why John was speaking against that because they had got into a whole bunch of weird stuff. Here's what we need to understand when it comes to power and sex. When those two are operating together, all bets are off and all kinds of weird stuff will come. And when that happens at the highest level of the land from the kings on down, it releases demonic principalities all throughout. And so we have to be careful of that. And we're not here to, like I said, we're not here to dog everybody about how they live their life because we're walking a certain way. But there are certain things that we just have to speak out against and stand up against and be like, no, that's not it. You know, okay, let's use an example of the governor. Something happens with the governor of Indiana and it's on the news. We have a right to say, yeah, we don't agree with that. We, I'm just throwing out something crazy. We, we see that he's got five or six young girls locked up in his basement. We don't be like, well, you know, uh, I voted for him, so that's okay. No, we, we get up and we speak against it. We, talk, we stand against that which is evil. And when the church begins to take a back seat to evil because it's comfortable, then we have lost our power. John was not like that. He he stood up, but it actually cost John in the long run. And uh, I can't pretend like this did not cost John his life because as we read, it did cost him his life. But we have to be so locked into our reward after life that if it would mean costing us our life, we would rather stand up and say that which is right and that which is holy. All right, we're going to go go back to this and go to verse 7. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Verse 18 and 9, I mean, verses 8 and 9, prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on the platter. Number one, this is wicked. But number two, you're stupid, girl, because mm-hmm. you could have had anything in his kingdom. Yeah. And you allowed your mother to convince you to ask for a man's head on the platter, not just ask for him to die, Uh but ask for his head to be on the platter. So that's high level wickedness. I need us to bring it down to our level because more than likely we're not going to get beheaded. So that's not the point. The focus for us is when we start doing right, there are demons that are after our head. Mm -hmm. You may not be able to see them but they come after you and that's why it's important to engage with the bible studies the the sunday services and try to connect because you are actually fighting warfare you may not know it but if you're standing for god satan's satan's coming after your head and he's trying anything to get you when you are doing what is right so that's why sometimes out of the blue, we have bad days or depressing moments. That's all demonic because we're standing for what is right. So I don't think it's good for Christians to just get in and play the game, play the religious church game, because all the devil knows is you say you belong to the simple. So I'm attacking you with the rest of them. Yep. So if you're going to play around, this is not the, the game to be playing around in because <laughs> things are coming. But on the flip side of that, we are winning battles and we are conquering things for generations to come. And some of the things that we're winning, we don't know we're winning until later on. So I encourage people to stay in the fight. But if you're going to be in the fight, don't play around with this thing. Be serious about God. Doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. Doesn't mean you won't have problems and ups and downs like everybody else. But your focus is I'm living for God and everybody around you should know I'm living for God. Now, as a pastor, it's a little bit easier because the simple fact that I'm a pastor, people know that I'm trying to live for God, but sometimes people in the pews can hide. You can be at church on Sunday and then do all kinds of stuff throughout the week and pop back up in church and nobody really knows. Mm -hmm. I encourage you not to do that, Uh not to play those games because once you get exposed once the cover gets pulled off of you it's it's not it's not a pretty sight, so buckle down and be focused, be like uh John the Baptist to the point, even if it costs you something it's okay because in the end, your reward is going to be great so number one we we see the wickedness of the the era we see how ignorant this girl is, but it's not just the ignorance of the girl, we see something else that is uh powerful. We see the control of Herodias, the control so much of, well, actually, we'll read it uh, a little more. I'll read it again, and then I'll, I'll explain what I'm trying to say. Matthew 14, 8 through 9, prompted by her mother or prompted. Let's use the word controlled by her mother or manipulated by her mother. She said, give me the head of John the Baptist here in the platter. And the king was sorry, meaning he didn't want to do it. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He wanted to save face, but he was being controlled by this woman. Matthew 14, 10, he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. It happened really quick. Now, on Sunday morning, I touched on the topic of the Oscars, of the Will, uh, Chris, and and Jada. And uh, I didn't want to dig too much around in it, but... I will say that a lot of people are looking at Jada saying she's operating in what they call a Jezebel spirit where she's controlling will or will is allowing himself to be controlled to the place that he's doing things out of character. I don't know if that's true or not, but it lo- it doesn't look right. I'll just put, I'll, I'll put it to you that way. It doesn't look right. Normally a person, who has come this far in life, doesn't make a blunder on a major stage unless they're under great emotional turmoil. And it looked like Will is at some type of breaking moment, breaking point to do what he did. And so I'm not here to really focus on them, but when it comes to us, who is in our life that's breaking us down? And some of the worst mistakes we've made, a lot of times we made in trying to protect and preserve relationships that God never wanted us to be in. Some of the dumbest things we've done is for a woman or for a man trying to fight for something God never wanted us to have. So it it doesn't seem to suggest at all that Herod disliked John. He only disliked John because John spoke out about this woman he was with. And then this woman he was with was so evil, she prompted him to have uh, John killed. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful who you have in your life that is controlling you, that is manipulating you. Mm -hmm. If you step back from the situation and step out of the relationship, would you make the decisions that you're making in the relationship? Would you hate who you hate in the relationship the way you hate who you hate? out of the relationship, or, or actually I said the opposite, but out of the relationship. So sometimes God allows relationships to deteriorate so you can see who you are apart from them and realize, oh, this is really controlling me. This is breaking me down. And having said what I said previously, when the devil is after your head, mm-hmm. he usually brings somebody into your life. If he can't get to you singularly, He introduces someone or something into your life. So you have to be very careful and very uh, cognizant of that. Who is coming into my life? Why is it after this person got in my life, these next five months, there's been a lot of turmoil. You have to really check that and find out because sometimes it's an inside job. Someone has been planted in to mess things up. Uh, I want to shift from relationships and bring it more toward toward the church setting. There are times this happens even in church settings where you have a church that's moving in a singular direction, being led by a leader. And then here comes another saint from another church. And all of a sudden, everybody is a whole lot of chaos. Sometimes the people in the pews have to realize, wait a second, we were fine. In other words, I always loved Trish until you showed up and started needling me. Don't you think Trish talked too much? Don't you think she smiled too much? Wait a second, I didn't think that on my own until you came up. The scripture says, be careful one who sowed seeds of discord among the brethren. So guess what? We come to church, but the devil comes to church too. Sometimes he comes to church in demonic form. Sometimes he comes to church in human form. And you have to be careful who, just because you sit on the pew with them, don't mean they have the same mindset as the leadership. So you have to be careful and you have to be willing to stand up against it. Uh-uh, uh-uh, sweetheart. We don't do that here. Uh, don't you? Don't you think... So-and-so's husband is fine. Wait, wait, wait wait a second. Where are you going with this conversation? Well, listen, it's just me and you. We're just talking. Okay, I acknowledge that he's handsome, but that's my sister's husband. So there's only so far we can go in this conversation. So you have to watch people and things because many times the devil is trying to introduce things to cut the head off of success cut the head off of joy, cut the head off of the progress that you're making. So we have to understand that. So all of that is just hidden within the context of this scripture It's really not the full place where we, where we took it Sunday, but I just wanted to kind of throw things in there just to show you that the devil has many traps. He tries, if we are wise, the scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices. When we wise up, we can see his stuff coming. We can see his junk coming and we can navigate around it. But we do have to be careful of who we are allowing to control us. All right, let's see if we can go a little further. Verse 11. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother a full uh, display. Just 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 disgusting it as, as it comes what, what they were doing. Verse 12, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. So Bible scholars understand that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. So this would have affected Jesus personally because he was human. Now, what Jesus knows is the only reason why John got in trouble is he was doing what was right. He was standing up. For What was right. Sometimes it seems like God doesn't care when we suffer for doing what is right. That's not true. He just understands there is time. And a lot of times we need time to figure out what God is doing on the other side. And if the devil cannot get you in the process, what he'll try to do is say, well, God don't care that you're hurting. God don't care that you're broken. God cares, but he understands that he's allowing something to be worked in you. The perfect example of that is Job. Mm-hmm. As Job was going through his process, it seemed like God was aloof, away, and was not caring or concerned. Job got to the place where he kept demanding, God, you need to do something. He even told God, "It, you shouldn't even let me be been born. Mm-hmm. Cursed was the day I came out of my mother's womb. God didn't say anything. Until it was time. And when it was time, God stepped in. He began to spoke. He checked Job. But then he also showed Job he was taking him to another level, gave him double for all his trouble. Many times the reward is so much greater than the suffering. But there's time in between. And you have to go through that time. And when you are broken and have been broken properly, what you'll do is you will stay on what we call the potter's wheel. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good, but God, you know, better than I do. You see the big picture. So I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to stay with this. And God, I'm hoping at the end of this, you don't let me down. I'm hoping at the end of this, I come out. Okay. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to run. I'm not going to go back to what I came out of. See a lot of people, they cry and cry and cry for God to deliver them from stuff. And then they get delivered, they're happy. And then the first sign of trouble, they run back to what they asked God to deliver them from. We don't wanna be that way. We wanna say, okay, God, I don't like what I'm dealing with, but I'm not gonna run back to that. So I, I talked about uh, previous uh, several, several, several years ago, over 25 years ago, when I was hooked on alcohol and God delivered me from that. So when my father died, what sense would it make for me to turn to alcohol? I haven't needed it for 25 years. Of course, I didn't like the idea that I lost my father, but I'm not going to cope with it in a way of something God already brought me out of. Because what that does, it does a disservice to my deliverance. So even though it might be the easy way out, I don't feel like thinking about this right now. So lo- let me get a fifth, a gin. and Hey, I bet you I won't be thinking about that. But it's going to create another set of problems because it might put me back where I came from. So, a lot of times, the problem with that, with us being delivered, it makes us feel stuck because I know who and what I can turn to to feel better, but I also know that's not who I am anymore. I know who I can call to make me feel better, but I'm married, I'm saved, I'm delivered. I can't, I could, but I can't because it would do a disservice to all the progress that's being made. So I just got to stay in this broken place and hope that God will get me beyond the repair and get me to something greater. And sometimes we don't have a guarantee. We're just hoping, believing, trusting. But I can promise you from experience going backwards is the last thing you want to do because when you do go backwards, it's harder to get to where you were the second time around. Once you do fall back and, and allow the old things to comfort you, it's harder to get back out of that. I know some people who make slips mm-hmm. than I know people who relapse. A slip is different than a relapse. A relapse people, they they it's almost they always have to have to start all the way back to square one and build, you know, back again. So We, as a church, we understand slips, mistakes. We understand thinking about things. Maybe you didn't do it, but you thought about it. We're not here to judge you for that. But what we don't want you to do is to relapse because we don't want you to lose so much time what God is doing. So what you have to do is you got to sit in the brokenness. You got to sit in the pain. You got to sit in the uncomfortable feeling and trust God to work it out for you. So. Jesus. Now, think about this. When Jesus shows up, John says, I have to decrease so you might increase. Now, think of what it might have felt like to Jesus to think, "Okay, he's dead. His head is cut off. That's my cousin. That's actually my family. He'd done everything to prop me up, to let everybody know I was the Messiah. And the truth of the matter is he suffered because of me. That could have caused Jesus to go into a depression and go into a pain. But let's see how Jesus handled it. Let's look at verse 13. And then it turns around and says, Jesus feeds the five thousands, which seems crazy when you read the previous what we just have have read. So when, when you when you look at the Bible in snapshots We don't always see it in its full context. So when we hear about Jesus feeding the 5,000, that just sounds like a great miracle, which it was. But when you see that it came on the heels of a crazy, wicked death Mm -hmm. that was unfair and all John was trying to do was make Jesus uh, famous or make him great. What that could have done is could have made Jesus say, this is not worth it, because Jesus also knows at some point I have to go to the cross None of this is worth it because all this sacrifice was for people, not for them. So John's sacrifice was not for him. Jesus' sacrifice was not for for him. And many times our personal sacrifice is not going to benefit us in the present moment. So once you begin to see that and you think about it, sometimes, can I be honest, it sucks To know that I'm giving all this, going through all these temptations, having all this brokenness, and it's not for me. It's for somebody else. See, the power of God that comes upon you is never for you. It's actually for the people around you. So God is doing something in you that's not really for you. It's for others. And if you have a selfish mindset, then when you wake up and realize I'm going through this for somebody else, you say, bump this, forget this. There's days that I wake up and I was like, I don't feel like going to church, but I'm the preacher. I got to go. I'm I'm tired. I got to go. So last Sunday, I end up, uh, first of all, I was supposed to see Denzel Washington at this conference I was at, but it was gonna cause me to be too late to be at church and to be with my family. So I said, I'm just gonna skip that. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna to, to go. I'm gonna sacrifice for uh, my family and for the church and I'm not gonna stay and see this great uh, actor, uh, which is something I, I've always wanted to see him in person. But then uh, the flight that I was on was full and they were offering uh, refunds to, to take another flight. So I called my wife and I first of all I didn't just take it. I didn't change the wife. I said, Hey, is it okay? What do you, what do you have going on? Because you know, I don't want to be an absentee father. So she's like, No, you need you need to stay. So I decided I would stay. But I knew that was gonna push me back a little later, but it was it was okay. I was supposed to get in at nine o'clock on uh Saturday night in Indianapolis. Should be home by ten thirty at the latest. Well I got to see Denzel. That was awesome. But after that, the flights were canceled. Things were changed. It it was it was bad. I got home really late and then I didn't get to sleep till like two o'clock in the morning. Well, at seven o'clock, my alarm goes off because I'm supposed to have a sermon ready to prepare for y'all. I had started it in my mind, but I had a chance to put anything down. So at seven o'clock, when the, the alarm goes off, I don't want to get up. I can just say, y'all, y'all, y'all have church without me. Y'all get in there and sing some songs, and look, oh <laughs> look, I, I'm tired. But my call is greater than my feelings. And so, you know, I, I, could, I could think of all kinds of things. Well, the only reason why I went to the conference is to be a better leader for the people. So since I'm sacrificing for the people, just let them do it without me. Yes, I understand you could do it without me, but I have a calling. And if I'm gonna honor my calling, sometimes I have to I have to disassociate myself from the most pleasurable feelings so I can do what is best as a leader. So it doesn't mean I'm gonna sleep less sometimes, yes. And since I'm still working, well, why are you working, pastor? Because I decided to be the best I need for this church. I need to not take a salary. So I still have to work. So after preaching here and doing the things that I do, then I have to somehow get in the bed so I can go work all night long. Is that easy? No, it's not. But I'm called to this. Not only that, every Sunday morning, I fast every Sunday morning. So I do not eat from the time I get up until after church and somewhere we, we go to lunch. So a lot of times it's 2, 3 o'clock before I'm eating. I'm thinking when I woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm extremely hungry. I can take an exception, sure I can take an exception, but I'm sacrificing for a greater purpose. My daughter wakes up and she comes in the room and she has an orange in her hand. She said, daddy, I got your orange. Oh man, I can eat this orange. Nobody's gonna know, but I'm sacrificing for a greater reason. I was like, baby, no, I'm not gonna eat the orange. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fasting. And I've had people uh, deliver breakfast to my door and say, but I'm saying no, cause I'm disciplined for a reason but does it always feel good? No, but there's a purpose. And so I don't know what you have to to step away from. I don't know what you have to back away from. I don't know what you have to sacrifice in order that someone else may have a better life. And it's not always going to feel easy, but that's what we call brokenness. You're choosing someone else and not choosing yourself. And you're believing that God will bless it in the end. And there's never been a time where God hasn't blessed me for my sacrifice. All right, let's look some more. Now, when Jesus heard heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat. Why? Because he was grieving to a desolate place by himself. Why would he do that? Because he was grieving. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them And healed their sick. If anybody could have had a day off, that could have been Jesus' day off. But he had compassion. And the reason why he had compassion because he understood this is bigger than me. We all have to think about the fact, what if Jesus decided, this is too much, I'm not going to the cross. All of us, it's over for all of us. We would be stuck in Adam and Eve's sin. We'd have no hope. We all have hope. Now, now our life isn't perfect, but we all have at least a glimmer of hope. We all have a chance to get to heaven. But if Jesus had made one decision to say, this is too much, I quit. It's over. But he didn't do that. And we see that all throughout his life, not just at the cross, but we see in, in key major moments when God used him mightily. He was used when he was actually broken. Let's look at the point that we've uh, put up, compassion, which is this the good definition for it, is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. I want to make this statement because once you've been broken what that does for you is you always remember no matter what I feel, uh-huh. there's somebody going through something worse than me. Yeah. Uh, not not only uh, did, did I have to wake up with just a few hours of sleep, four or five hours of sleep, which I I can actually function off of of that. But at five o'clock in the morning, uh, my wife gets a call because she makes sure that the church phone number is forwarded to her in after hours. There was someone who has cancer who called and wanted prayer. So I'm only going to get a few hours of sleep and here at five o'clock in the morning, our phone is ringing and I have to take some time to pray for someone. Well, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just roll over and go back to sleep? Well, let's put this back up. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Yes, I don't have a lot of sleep, but I don't have cancer. So I need to pray for someone. I need to have compassion. And people who have not been broken, they just don't have compassion for other people like they should. So let's put this point up. True compassion only flows out of you when you are broken beyond repair. And we don't want you broken just to be broken. We want you broken so that compassion can flow out of you. We want you broken so that the oil can flow out of you. We want you broken so that the ministry is not just left up to my preaching. That the only reason why people are going to get saved is if I preach a good message. No, You are a message, you are a sermon. Each one of you are a living sermon. And you have to understand there are people who will never walk through these doors. For whatever reason, they're not coming to and through the church doors. So you have to be the church. You have to be the church. So when you encounter them and they encounter you, what you don't know is they're looking at your life. And when you've been broken in the right way and broken in all the right places, and the oil of joy flows out of you to them, you're making a difference. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be people that are going to look at their turnaround and they're going to point to you and you're not even going to know it. You're not even going to know it. You triggered a change in their life. There are people that I've heard about for, I mean, for years, I, 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 I hadn't heard from them for years. That's a better way to say it. There's, a, there's a, one man, it, it was funny because my, my dad was so compassionate. He taught me so much. But I remember there's this uh, a guy who was struggling with with addiction. Uh, my father helped him get off of his addiction, get clean from it, brought him into the church when we were over there in the other building. And this guy had a gift of playing the trumpet. He told my dad that he used to play the trumpet. He used to be good at jazz, this, that, and the other. My dad goes out and buys a trumpet from the church for him to play in church. And he would come to church, and he'd play his trumpet, and he was excellent. He wasn't lying. He was actually really good. However, this guy has a relapse. In his relapse, he comes to the church, takes the trumpet that was there, goes to the pawn shop, and pawns it for dope. I get a call about something, and I've got to, come and verify something and and I was ticked off. I'm like, this joker is taking the church money and my dad was like, you have to understand addiction recovery, you have to understand relapse. And I was just like, it didn't make sense to me. I thought my dad was a pushover, but what I didn't understand is he understood compassion. When you you relapse and you mess up and you do something stupid, the last thing you need is somebody taking and beating you over the head. Mm -hmm. So fast forward several years, 10, 15 years later, My dad gets a message from another pastor talking about this guy who plays the trumpet in his church and telling the story how there was a church in Muncie where he got turned around and now he's benefiting and blessing another church somewhere else. I thought he was just a lost cause because after we lost touch with him, I thought he was a lost cause. But he says it was a little church in Muncie, Indiana that caused him to turn around. That's what taught me that the compassion of my father was actually changing lives. Just because you don't get to see the end of every story doesn't mean that you're not making a difference. And this guy is, is blessing people in that congregation. It happened to be a large, big church, and uh, he's making a difference. And I would have never known it had we not got this random letter that came to my father. So that reminded me that there's a lot of people that are not going to send a letter. You may never know till you get to heaven. But if you're broken right, your compassion is really gonna make a difference in a lot of people's lives. But you have to be willing to go through the hard stuff and forgive people. I didn't wanna forgive him. Forget him. Bring me our trumpet back. <laughs> Yo, crackhead. But guess what? My dad was teaching me that's not, that's not how you lead. See, that's see, at that time, I didn't know I was gonna become a pastor. So he was teaching me, there's a certain way you handle people. And I hadn't been addicted myself. I hadn't gone through anything. But then I ran into something called pornography that just got its grips on me. Then I was a little more compassionate. Once it was me who said I wasn't going to do it, I kept doing. It's different. True compassion. let's, Let's look at it again. True compassion only flows out of you when you are broken beyond repair. True, real compassion. So Jesus was like that. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy for themselves food. But Jesus said they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Not only did had he healed everybody, it was his idea to say, let's go ahead and let's feed them as well. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Matthew 14, 18, and he said, bring them here to me. The power of that, of of what we're talking about is when we come, as broken as we are, to the master's hands, we put our life in his hands, and he gets a hold of us, he can make something special out of us. And so we are just supposed to trust the process, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the, the happy and the sad and watch God make something out of it. So we are here to bring ourselves to God. Uh, point number two, it's not until you are broken beyond repair that you truly have something to offer. Verse 19, then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves And gave them to disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. So here's the real takeaway or take home for us is God's formula is blessed plus broken equals given. So the focus that we've been talking about is the brokenness. But what we didn't talk about until the end purposely is the blessing. The blessing comes before the breaking. So the only reason why you are broken is because God blessed you to the place where you could be broken. But he only allowed you to be broken so you could be given. What are you given? You're giving the blessing that was on you before you were broken. See, the blessing that was on you, it multiplies once you've been broken. And so I, I use the example of of a loaf of, of bread, and it's, it's, it's powerful that that's the same thing as the miracle. But as the pieces were broken, then each part of the blessing is also in the breaking. So if there's blessing on the bread and I break the bread, now there's blessing on the crumb because the crumb is blessed along with the loaf. So the idea is, When God blesses you and then breaks you, every piece of you is blessed. And so when you give of yourself and you give yourself away, you're not just giving yourself, you're giving the blessing. So when you are start giving yourself and it feels like, man, I I don't know if I can do this anymore. or I'm tired. I'm worn out. Or I got this on my plate and you keep giving, you're actually giving the blessing and not everybody is going to appreciate it. But the people who need the blessing the most They're going to appreciate it and they're going to understand it. Let's look at uh, verse 20. And they all ate and were what satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. I'm going to make a point about this. The reason why most people don't come to God is because they don't know how to fill the emptiness in their soul. So they try to satisfy it with other things. And it usually leaves them more empty empty. But when you come along and you show them what God has done in your life and you're broken in all the right places and you show them what God can do in a life, what happens is they become satisfied because you introduce them to the only one who can satisfy. Mm -hmm. The only one who can actually make a difference is God. And so all you're doing is you're passing that on to somebody else. But instead of passing it on in a way of telling somebody about God, which is fine. It's good to tell people about God, but it's your life. When you let someone in behind closed doors and they see your life, the transparency of who you are, they see your broken places. Um, What people say about me often as a preacher is that I'm real, that I don't get up there and act like I don't have any troubles or anything. I, I just tell you like it is, but I do that on purpose so that I can be transparent And show you that if God can use me, he can use you because I'm no different than you. I'm just called and you're called. I may be called to a different level in a different position, but I'm called just like you're called. And when we get to heaven, God's not going to make me better than you. He's going to bless us for what we did. And so I'm just trying to open myself up and say to you, hey, I am who I am because of God. And you'll be who you are because of God and the people you reach and touch will be because of God. Some of those people will come in the building and be part of our church. But I've learned that the goal is not to build a bigger church. The goal is to build the kingdom. So I've made up in my mind, if I have to preach the empty pews till I die, it's okay. I'm making a difference in the world. I'll give, uh, before I go, I'll give a, a quick example. Brother Benny is one of our, our newest members. Amen he constantly reaches out to me and lets me know how my, uh, my ministry has blessed him. And then he's using it to bless other people. And he's, he's taking the very thing I'm teaching, he's actually doing it, living it, walking it out. But the, the thing is some people who've been around us for a while, you forget it, but Benny's fresh. And so he's, he's going through this fresh journey. Some people forget, and I don't want anyone to forget that, God is using me to touch you, and God is touching you to touch somebody else. That's the goal. It's because what, what we're doing, we're broken beyond repair. We're new. We're brand new. We're brand spanking new. And what we're doing, we're trying to bring that newness to everybody else. And then when we all get to heaven, we can sit back and say, hey, we did it through the help of the Father. So that is the goal. And I appreciate every one of my Deliverance Temple members. All of you online, everyone who makes us who we are, because we're truly making a difference. One person at a time, one smile at a time, one handshake at a time, one sermon at a time, one prayer at a time. We are actually making a difference. And I don't want you to think that our brokenness means nothing because our brokenness means everything. We're making a difference in the land. If you believe it, somebody just say amen and and you can go ahead and type amen in the comments. We're going to uh transition out. Of this. I'll, I'll give us the final point that we had on uh Sunday. The world around us gets benefited once we've been broken because every piece given is blessed, which of course is what we just shared with you. All right, let's get ourselves uh, ready for a prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear, gracious, heavenly father, we uh, praise you and appreciate you. Thanking you for the power that you have and the power you've placed in us, that you've actually placed something in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power will be of you and not of us. Basically, we're just broken people showing everyone what it means to have a healer in their life, and you are a healer. Now I got our asking that you would save the unsaved, that you would uh, uh reclaim the back sitting and the lost, and God help us as we learn and and grow in you to reach the world around us and make a difference in the land. And we give you praise for it. Help us to truly communicate Christ's love compassionately, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. God bless you all. We appreciate you so much and you are dismissed.